Welcome to another edition of CHB Talks. We are here today with Matea Merta to talk about the United Nations. And uh, Rod, why don't you um, give our guest a, a proper, inter- a proper uh, introduction? Well, it's a real privilege to have Matea Murta with us today. Uh, Matea is the Global Policy and Advocacy Advisor and United Nations Representative with Campaign Life Coalition. She's also a political advisor and has been published in the post-millennial True North and Rebel News. Matea has worked on political campaigns on the local, provincial, and federal levels, as well as holding various roles on national leadership campaigns. Previously, Matea worked with a member of parliament in Canada's House of Commons, and she has served with a cabinet member in the province of Saskatchewan. So, Matea, it's a real pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. I'm honoured. Well, how did you, how did the political bug bite you in the first place? How did you get involved in politics to begin with? For sure. So essentially, I was in my late teens, halfway through grade 12, I actually got kicked out of a private Christian school for offering up the wrong opinion when asked for my opinion. So that set me on a a trajectory that I am actually very grateful for. Um, It was one of those pinnacle moments in my life where, you know, you you come to it and you go, this is going to be the formation, one of those forming moments of life. And so after that happened, I had to really figure out what am I going to do in the meantime. So I jumped into homeschooling. And at that period of time, there was a federal election happening. And I ended up going and helping a dear friend who was running to be a member of parliament in the constituency right next to mine. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I'm I'm grateful I didn't because I just jumped in with two feet and I absolutely loved it. I love talking with people hearing what their what their concerns are, actually figuring out what my community was was really facing and how we could actually be a light to it and help it. And so after that election ended, I actually went and sat on an EDA, an electoral district associations board as their youth chair, uh, youth member rather. And that that board was with Brad Trost, who was elected as a member of parliament. I ended up being offered a position uh, internship actually for about two to three months. And that ended up extending into about almost a four year contract on Parliament Hill. And so I, I just, I loved getting to learn about this whole world that I never been exposed to really. And I, I found uh, a lot of information, um, you know, when you're presented with information, you want to you want to share it. You want to share truth, and you want to elevate. It. And so that's that really for me was was I guess the bug for me was was wanting to inform people on what is actually happening in the world and how we can participate in it uh, every day. And so that's how I got engaged, how I got involved, and uh, this is why I am here, where I am today. Yeah. So how long have you been with the Campaign Life uh, Coalition and your role uh, at the United Nations? Just about a year and a half now. When I was working on Parliament Hill, actually, I got to go as a part of the UN delegation with CLC to the UN, uh, to UNHQ in New York City. And that's where I was first exposed to it. Now, everybody says, well, the UN is evil and we hate it. Never go there. Uh, I'm actually grateful I did go there because that's really where you get to understand how it functions, how your governments are involved in it, and what its real purpose is, which we'll get into in a little bit. 
absolutely. So, yes, in terms of Canada's relationship to the United Nations, I think that that's something that most of our listeners and viewers might only have a surface level understanding of. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So Canada is very intimately tied with the United Nations. Now, you have to understand the United Nations is not an elected body. It is essentially a bunch of bureaucrats. And that's not to demean them. It's it's just a fact. And so we have to understand that what happens at United Nations are our documents are produced and various discussions are had around international matters. Now, Canada has become essentially the we are we are like the best buddies of the UN. And that should actually concern people. Because at this point in time, I mean, my parents' generation had a completely different idea of what the UN actually is at present. Um, and, And that's really what we have to try and inform people of, is that the UN essentially was supposed to be a body where different governments globally could come together in a peaceful environment and hash out the various details, flesh them out so that we could actually progress as a global community. Now, at this point in time, the UN and Canada at the UN actually uses their relations to affect various social fabrics in the world through coercive diplomacy, as well as affecting almost like a bully. They use it almost like a bully pulpit, Canada does, to influence national legislation in other countries, that is. So that's, I mean, Canada's propped up continually for its anti-life, anti-family, anti-democratic uh, means and ways of of producing documents and getting their own agendas and ideals established. So Canada has a great relationship with the UN, and that's not necessarily a great thing. But uh, it's not necessarily it could be used for a lot of good, but it's not at the moment. Okay, so that gives us a, uh, an overview. And is it primarily Canada's elected officials that are talking to the UN bureaucrats? Is it Canadian bureaucracy? How how does that work from Canada's angle? For sure. So essentially every government in the world, there, I mean, there's, there's 190, I believe it's 193 now countries present at the UN. And so every country, they send a delegation from their government to go and uh, go and represent their country at the UN. So these are bureaucrats. These are not elected, again, uh, individuals. And so it can become quite tricky. For example, we'll use Brazil um, because it's a similar situation to Canada where Brazil has a conservative government at the moment. And yet there are bureaucrats who were appointed by previous administrations to go and represent Brazil at the UN. They are not following national policy that is conservative at present. And so part of my job is to report that back to these various governments. And so it's the same situation with Canada. Uh, these are these are appointed individuals who are meant to follow the current administration at that time, whether it be liberal or conservative or NDP or green or block or whatever it might be in Canada at that time. Um, so that's that's how a lot of the work is done. Now, those various uh, delegations that are appointed by their governments have to report 
to their capitals, so to Ottawa for Canada. And so when that happens, uh, for example, we were just at the Commission on the Status of Women, a huge feminist conference, and the Canadian delegation was working for two weeks over a two-week time frame on a specific outcome document. And that's what's produced at all these various UN commissions, which are, again, just conferences. And so they would get their directives from Ottawa. Now, if if this was a conservative government and these bureaucrats were making liberal decisions on these various outcome documents, that would, again, be my job and the job of my coalition at the UN to report them back to capital and for them to be accountable. And so that's that's how that kind of inner working of the UN happens. Um, But I'm happy to answer any other questions on that. Would you know roughly how many, uh, you know, paid bureaucrats Canada has at the UN? Is there any idea about that? But uh, it's more than just a couple, I'm assuming. Well, so that's a little that's a little difficult to to say exactly how many. So we have a UN um, Canada embassy is the best way to explain it to people. So if you think of an embassy being somewhere in in another capital in in the world for Canada, we kind of have a a UN um, bureau. And so I don't know how many people work in that specific building, but I do know that there's anywhere from nine to 14 delegates um, representing Canada, which are the bureaucrats we just discussed. And so it, that fluctuates that that number. Um, but last I checked, we have 10. And do governments uh, tend to uh, change those bureaucrats, those delegates, when when a new government comes in? Do they tend to clean house and put in their own people or, or does it? Do they mostly carry on uh, sort of status quo? Right. So sometimes they can change them depending on the situation where um, some contracts might run out, some bureaucrats might move on, uh, there might be different appointments in the government. And so it, it really changes. So, uh, yeah, they, they can change them, but sometimes they can't change them. It's, it's really dependent on the situation. Yeah. You talked about Canada sort of having, uh, using its presence as a bit of a bully pulpit. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Like, is it about um, Canada being totally in line with the UN agenda? Is it about Canada setting an agenda or, um, or just, I guess, um, pushing it on other countries that might not be in line all of the above all of the above so we will essentially i I don't want to get into the granular because that can be you'll lose people that that's really boring talk but really what happens is with term with regards to a bully pulpit the canada is in line 100% with the UN agenda. I mean, you look at the Sustainable Development Goals, Agenda 2030, and which is Sustainable Development Goals are meant to achieve Agenda 2030. Um, A lot of people at the UN want world peace. They want to see um, the flourishing of societies and they'll use a lot of different lingo in order to accomplish that. Now, when it comes to Canada's role in all this, it gets pretty coercive and Canada is not the only country, mind you, that is, you know, hook, line and sinker in with the UN agenda. There's the EU, there's China, there's various other countries and um, uh, populations that are in line. So Canada will go to the UN 
and say we're going to have, we are renouncing Mariam Monsef was one individual who did this on behalf of Canada, as well as Justin Trudeau a couple of years back and said, we're going to be giving X number of millions, if not billions of dollars to fund what we call sexual and reproductive health and rights or SRHR. Now it's a term that we as the general populace need to start understanding and, and throwing out there because the other side is using it so heavily. Now SRHR really means uh, free and on-demand abortions, funding those and promoting them, uh, contraceptive use for any individual. So the, any individual at the UN, any person means child until death, essentially that age group. And then uh, comprehensive sexuality education, which is radically explicit information that no child should ever be exposed to. So Canada uses our Canadian tax dollars to fund SRHR programs through the United Nations, which also distributes its money to various foundations, organizations, programs in other countries in order to directly influence national policy. So, for example, we were giving millions of dollars and continue to do so to Maurice Stokes International, who commits illegal abortions and has been actually kicked out of various African countries for breaking the law. And yet we continue to fund them and their mission to provide illegal and unsafe abortions to women in various countries. And so this is kind of a part of what Canada does. Um, we also fund different organizations that go into nations for the explicit purpose to change their social fabrics because they're, they're far behind, you know, being pro-life, pro-family, that's not good enough. That's not a part of Canada's feminist foreign policy agenda. So we need to change that by taking Canadians' tax dollars and influencing other nations' national policies. So that's, that's a little bit of what Canada does, uh, per se, as to a bully pulpit. Um, but that's, that's the, the overarching explanation of more the granular of what actually happens. Okay. So which are the countries you sort of touched on it a little bit in terms of values, but do you want to talk about maybe a little bit about some of the specific countries that are being coerced by Canada and the UN's agenda? For sure. So right now, the main target is Africa, period. And you could say that there's a, a racist agenda. You could say um, that there is ideological colonialism, which I have, I totally agree with that there is an ideological colonialistic um, ideal that Canada's feminist foreign policy in, involves around. So Africa is the primary one, but we also, Canada helped fund UNFPA and there, so that's the United Nations Population Fund. So they're essentially the population control agency of the UN. We continue to fund them, but when UNFPA went into China to uh, help promote their social credit system to identify women who are pregnant in order for them to have a forced abortion or sterilization, we funded through UNFPA that very program. And we also fund UNFPA all, all the way from the time that they supported China's one child policy up until today, where there's a two child policy, which only exasperates uh, the situation around sex elective abortion in their country. So Canada's involved in, in anything and everything at the UN pertaining to being anti-life and anti-family. And we also um, 
target specific nations because they want the global community to be anti-life, anti-family. And uh, they use the UN to be that conduit for them. Yeah, it seems like it gives them some kind of legitimacy or they, they believe it does. And probably with some uh, people, news watchers who, uh, who you know follow the mainstream media, when the UN is mentioned, it still has uh, kind of a ring of, uh, you know, somber and uh, thoughtful care for others around the world and so on. And uh, the insidious agenda against life and family is hidden from sight, unfortunately. We we appreciate uh, our friend uh, Obianuju Ikiocha. I know you know her as well. And uh, she's made some very, uh, you know, articulate pleas for, you know, world world governments to lay off of, you know, stop pushing abortion in Africa mm -hmm. and using, you know, uh, financial uh, leverage to do so. And and Canada, of course, is guilty in that regard. And it, it is tragic that we have this uh, sort of uh, symbol uh, in New York City, the, you know, the towering United Nations, which still has that uh, appearance of, uh, you know, legitimacy around the world. Uh, so, uh, thank you for being there and helping to bring a different perspective. Um, apparently, uh, from speaking with you earlier, uh, your role on the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women, you've, you've run into some opposition there, not surprisingly from, you know, the, the pro-abortion lobby group. Do you uh, want to uh, speak about that at all? For sure. So I was I was at the Commission on the Status of Women. It was the 65th Commission. And this year we were tackling discrimination against women, violence against women, especially because during the lockdowns, government-induced lockdowns, we have seen in incredible amounts, devastating amounts, really, of discrimination and violence against women. So I actually really appreciated that we were talking about the subject. And so uh, throughout the two-week commission, I was leading a delegation with Campaign Life Coalition to advocate for the pre-born, as well as for national sovereignty, against human trafficking, against uh, euthanasia, and any kind of form of discrimination. And so the primary issue that we tackled this time around was around sex-selective abortion, which we actually ended up hosting an event with MP Kathy Wagenthal, who got to speak to her bill, C-233. Uh, and it's around eliminating sex-selective abortion, essentially. So... During this commission, you have to understand it was all online and normally we're in New York City on the UN campus and we get to advocate in person, but because it was online this year, it was much easier for our voices to be censored, if not completely cut off. So uh, during the entire commission, my delegation, various individuals were kicked out of different events, different meetings. Uh, we were only really able to ask questions and advocate through a chat box. And sometimes those were completely disabled, if not individuals were stopped from speaking. And we brought up in a compassionate way that sex-selective abortion is discrimination and violence. And so I agreed one day on the second week of the commission during an event held by CEDAW, C-E-D-A-W, it's the Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. It's a, an insane mouthful. But nonetheless, two individual pro-life women actually were talking in the chat about 
sex act of abortion being this very form of discrimination that CEDAW needed to adopt as part of their agenda to eliminate. And I just simply agreed with them. And I said, it is violence. It is discrimination. And the abortion industry targets young women my age for abortions. And this is wrong. And I ended up leaving the meeting a little bit early. I had to jump into another one. I only come back to my UN portal to find that I can't access it. And so I look at my email and I see that I have been banned from using the UN portal. So I've been banned from doing my job, essentially, in advocating for life in the family. And I even pushed back and asked why. Why was I banned? And somebody had reported me and other pro-life women at this commission for violating virtual online safety guidelines. And the, the excuse that they said was the section that I violated was sustained disruption of discussion. And I left one comment. One comment was sustained disruption of discussion. So that's why I was kicked out. And we found other ways and means. I mean, we're crafty. We, we know how to get back into these things and keep advocating. But nonetheless, this is supposed to be an inclusive, uh, safe space for women to come and advocate and voice their opinions and, and their concerns. And yet they're continually silencing, uh, whether it's in person. I mean, when I've been on UN campus in previous years, they don't allow some of us pro-life women into various rooms for meetings. They don't uh, answer our questions when we ask them, as opposed to a pro-abortion individual getting an answer to their questions. And all of this is, is quite interesting because the, the Commission on the Status of Women, it, it revolves around a document called the Beijing Declaration and Program for Action. And it was formed in 1994. And that's where Hillary Clinton got up and said famously, women's rights are human rights and human rights are women's rights and, and essentially created women, uh, set women into a victim group uh, needing of, of different rights as opposed to just human rights. And so that aside, the Beijing Declaration and Program for Action actually says that we need to eliminate the need for abortion. And yet the entire commission, all these feminists who show up at it, they they elevate their label of being pro-abortion. It's not even just pro-choice, it's pro-abortion above their feminist labels. And it was interesting actually to see some of these conversations happening um, in person when we did get to speak and in the chat where various panelists were like the OGs of the feminist movement. They were there advocating, but the second and third wave feminists were absolutely attacking both them and us and because the, the the OGs of the feminist movement, they didn't want abortion. That wasn't a part of their, their deal, their agenda. And yet it's formed into, if you're gonna be a feminist in 2020, you also have to be pro-abortion because this is women's empowerment. So that's what happened at the commission. And uh, we, we have actually taken it as a badge of honor. And it's just another, another example of how censorship is so prevalent as well as cancel culture for just having a different opinion uh, and expressing it out loud. 
Well, thank you so much, Matea. And Matea has graciously agreed to um, continue this conversation for next week's edition of CHP Talks. So we're going to take a quick break and uh, hope that you will join us again next week for another edition of CHP Talks. And we'll continue this conversation about the UN with Matea Merta. Thanks for watching. Thank you so much.